So welcome back. Um, I also um, wanted to let you know in the announcement part, I forgot to mention, um, I published a book in November last year. We were made for these times, 10 lessons in moving through change, loss, and disruption um, with uh, teachings and personal stories. Um, also, many about what I've learned from my teacher, Thai, and other uh, wonderful teachers, many in the Vipassana tradition. Um, so that's available too. And I think, uh, yeah, Ileana will put the link for you in the chat if you're interested in buying it. So, yeah, I, I wanted to share about uh, this very beloved teacher uh, who passed away at the age of 95 in the central area of Vietnam, in Hue, January 22nd of this year. He was a, a teacher for many, many people, uh, an inspiration and a peacemaker and a poet and author. And uh, an activist, someone who coined the term engaged Buddhism. So I'm really grateful to have been able to spend 15 years as his monastic student. I first met him when I was 23, and I knew immediately that he was the teacher that I had been searching for. And I have been following him for the last 25 years and he's completely changed my life my not only my life but my family's life my father has also become a dedicated student of his and also a dharma teacher he is a christian minister and a, and a buddhist lay dharma teacher but everyone in my family has gone on some kind of retreat with with thai um, But he's really offered a clear path for anyone who has been in touch with him to grow our compassion and wisdom, to experience true happiness and transform suffering, and to manifest the Buddha nature in us. When I first learned that he had passed away, I, I paused and breathed. And what I touched in, in the stillness was how he was always very free in my, in my eyes. And that now, having passed away and left, left his body, he could just soar like a bird in the sky. I thought, oh, now you get to be even more free 
And so many of my memories of him are of him helping me to to be more free, to get out of the things that were um, obstructing me and that I was uh, deluded by or attached to. So when I would be in a state of distraction or despair or irritation or self-doubt, he really helped me to switch uh, to a, a space of more concentration or faith or compassion or self-confidence. And one of the things I feel was so transformative about his presence in my life was his ability to really help me feel loved. That he was so clear and practical and concrete in how he demonstrated his love and his support and his trust and faith in us. And that little by little helped me to nurture faith in myself and my own capacity to heal my suffering, to grow my love, and to embody Thai in me. So, so I'm going to share a little bit about how I came to be his student, and then I'll tell you some stories of how he really helped me. So I was in college, finishing up my last year when Ram Das um, gave, gave a talk that I went to, and he, he said one sentence that really stuck with me. He said, you learn a lot here, but you don't learn how to be happy. And, um, and so I, had plan- I was doing my master's. I was thinking of doing a PhD. But after I encountered Ram Das, I thought, I really want to learn to be happy. I want to find a teacher and a community that I can, can learn this most important uh, subject from. Because I saw that I was not able to stop myself from creating suffering for myself and others. I didn't understand myself very well. And so, um, so I decided to, to take a year to travel and, and go visit spiritual communities. I was in India for three months going to ashrams and I planned to go to Plum Village for that summer for the summer retreat, the month long summer retreat. And um, then I was gonna keep traveling around Europe after that. So that was 1997. And um, when I was in India, I read Thai's book, Old Path, White Clouds, his thickest book uh, about the life of the Buddha. It reads like it's like a novel. It's not a kind of dry historical book. It's really it's very much based in, in history, but it's through the eyes of the buffalo boy Svasti, who became a monk under the Buddha. And it's really like being up, up close with the Buddha, and it, it, it feels like you're with him. So, 
And I was in India as I was reading this book and everything was taking place in India. Um, and that was my first encounter with Thai as an author and a storyteller. And I just couldn't put the book down. I, I read it like within two weeks. Um, and he just really helped the Buddha come alive. And I felt very close to the characters, to the people in the book and, and connected. So then I came to Plum Village in France, the southwest of France, that summer. And it was my first time at a Buddhist retreat of any kind. And um, as I said, the first time I saw him, when he was giving the Dharma talk in the hall, I just knew I felt he was my teacher. Like this is the person I've been looking for. It was just an unexplainable feeling of recognition and, and total trust. Um, and I also was very impressed by the community, the Sangha, which was really, I thought, practicing what Thai was teaching. There was a lot of joy. There was a lot of um, affection. There was a lot of care that I was in touch with. And I found myself happier than I'd ever been before. And also more in touch with my suffering. I was crying a lot. A lot of the parts of my life that I hadn't been able to process or understand or be with. I was learning tools for how to be with my suffering. So I uh, didn't just stay for that month. I canceled the rest of my plans to travel in Europe and I stayed there for four months. And at the end of that time, I, I thought, why don't I become a nun? Because this is so precious to me living this way. Um, that there was you know, really nothing more important to me than learning to understand and free my own mind. And so I did ordain when I was 25, um, a little bit later. So, there was just this real sense of being able to rest back in um, in the faith in him. You know, there was a line from one of the chants in our tradition that would say, once I have a path, I have nothing more to fear. And there was really this sense of, ah, oh, I just have to follow what he's teaching, what the Sangha is guiding me in, and I'll be fine. Uh, so, so this uh, kind of um, really being able to rest and, and focus, because I had found what I really wanted to do. I could just focus all of my attention and energy in, in cultivating my mind according to, to these teachings. So 
So I took ordination in 1999. I was 25 at the time, and he um, would give every one of us a name, a Dharma name, when we would become a monastic. Based on a letter, we would write to him about our aspirations. And so he gave me the name True Adornment with Jewel, or Chan Min in Vietnamese. Um, and so soon after I ordained as a novice, um, there was a, a sister who was uh, older and had a lot of suffering. And so I was having difficulties with this elder sister. Um, she could be sometimes harsh in her speech with others. And I was, this was very painful for me. So I was struggling with this situation as a new member of the monastic community. And as novices, we were fortunate to have the opportunity to be Thai's attendant when he would come to teach at our hamlet. There were three hamlets of monastics in Plum Village. So while he needed very little, it was customary in an Asian culture um, that students would show care for their teacher by uh, serving them. But it was also a chance to learn more closely from your teacher. So there would be myself and another sister, we would clean his room and before he arrived and then spend the day with him, bringing him meals and um, inviting guests to his hut, serving him tea. But really, it was a time for Thai also to get to know us and to guide us in our practice. So somehow it seemed he knew that I was going through a hard time with a sister. And in the, in the quiet part of the day after lunch, he was just gently swinging in the indoor hammock that he liked to rest on. And uh, he looked at me and just said softly, you know, Jomin, other people are the path. And he didn't say that much more, but I received a very deep teaching in this, that, that the path of awakening doesn't lead us around or outside of difficult relationships. That our relationships, other people, including and especially the difficult ones, are the path itself, the path of awakening. That they are the conditions that help us to learn to be more free. And so he'd often taught us that living in community was like washing a bunch of chopsticks after a meal. You rub them against each other and they clean each other. The abrasion can be painful, but also transformative as you bump up against people in the community. So his teaching was simple and very supportive for me that day, and it's stayed with me ever since. It's just an important reminder that when interactions with others become difficult, that learning to work with and reconcile with others is, is really the purpose of our practice, not some mistake. So 
Another time also when I was a novice, I, um, I, was, I was the first monastic ordained in that tradition of African heritage. And so when, when other black people would come to the monastery, I would be very happy to see them because there weren't many. And we were in rural France, not, not many black people. And um, there was just this bubbling up of wanting to welcome them and, and connect on that level. And I kind of felt uh, a conflict inside because I thought, well, is that correct? The behavior of a nun to, to express that? Um, should I be more impartial? And so I, I wrote a letter to Ty. That was what, what we were, a way we were able to communicate with him. We were many, many students, so we couldn't all, um, you know, go and, and talk to him whenever we had a question. But we could write a letter, and then he would respond to it, often in a talk, a Dharma talk, or some somehow. So I wrote, I wrote to him this question and, and this you know, this yearning for um, expressing this, this uh, part of me. And a few days later, he was visiting our hamlet and all of the sisters were having tea with him in his room. And we were discussing what color to paint the new meditation hall we wanted to re repaint. And people were saying, oh, what about this color? What about that color? And all of a sudden he looked straight at me and he exclaimed, black is beautiful. And everyone burst out laughing. And it was just this powerful teaching of a Zen master allowing me to break through this kind of self-imposed obstacle and my hang-ups about who I should and shouldn't be, how I should and shouldn't express my love. And just, it gave me a kind of permission and freedom to just love those who were around me with freedom, with confidence, not taking myself too seriously. Tai was very good at using humor in his teaching too, and and uh, and surprising us too. I remember once we were all going to um, we we got to have outings every so often on our lazy day, and one of the brothers had found this uh, kind of a theme park in in France, not few hours from us, it was called Futuroscope. And it was all about things, you know, related to science and the future and kind of different exhibits and interactive things. And we were all very excited to go. We didn't get to go out of the monastery very often. And so At some point, either before or after we went on this trip, we also got to go to Tai's hermitage. So Tai lived a little bit away from our hamlets where the, um, 
and students, monks and nuns and lay people lived. But we would get to go to his hermitage sometimes. And he had created a calligraphy that was hanging outside the hermitage. So we'd all see it when we came in. And it said, welcome to the presentoscope. So he was saying it's all about the present moment, not the future. And it was just his kind of teasing, making fun of our fascination with the future. He said, oh, presentoscope, this is what we're doing here. It's focusing on the present. So, um, so there's another time uh, this, this was a little later. I was already a fully ordained bhikkhuni. We were traveling in China with Thai, so we got to go on trips with Thai. Um, this was a kind of big event that he was invited to communist China because he'd been exiled from communist Vietnam, and um, there was a lot of suspicion of, of uh, religion. And so we were kind of carefully watched even as we were invited into china so um, there were a couple hundred monastic and lay students we were traveling with him for maybe a month through different cities in china offering retreats public talks days of mindfulness and um and it was a kind of pilgrimage. All of the teaching tours were like a pilgrimage because of the many inner and outer blessings as well as challenges that would call forth the best in us and help us to compassionately recognize and befriend the worst in us. So it was always like major things would come up on these trips because, well, you'd be, you might get sick or there would be like very, you know, sometimes very simple kind of hard living conditions or, you know, it's just a kind of a lot of pressure <laughs> to be, to be moving around that, that so much with so many people, so much to organize and stay on top of. So anyway, at some point on this trip, I started feeling quite bad about myself. Something arose and I just was had a lot of self-doubt, self-judgment, just aversion to who I felt I was and what was going on inside of me at that time. It was this kind of self-absorbed thinking that narrows your mind and cuts you off from others, these really heavy emotions that are so consuming and persuasive that you can't connect with or open to other realities. So that morning we were about to go to another city and I remember boarding the bus just full of misery, like it was really miserable in my, in my inner system, just feeling utterly dejected and, and desperate. Ty was sitting on the front seat, the front row, because he always sat there to make sure the driver stayed awake, uh, that the driver wouldn't fall asleep and that we'd all be safe. And so as I got to the top step, I lifted my gaze and our eyes met. And Ty was looking at me most intently with a compassion and love so huge that I actually felt it physically. This palpable energy of affirmation, care, deep understanding of my pain 
It just penetrated my body and my mind. And I had never seen that depth of kindness in someone's eyes before, directed straight at me, like at very high magnitude, like, like a magnifying glass that concentrated this ray of unconditional love. It, it just burned away my attachment to my story and, and it removed the, the tendrils, the seductive hooks that kept me bound in this little picture of my small self. It was really a moment of grace that, that took my breath away. And though I had to continue moving to get to my seat on the bus, inside myself I had stopped. Something was really like shifted. I felt changed. That brief look, it opened up a moment of timelessness in the midst of the pressures of worldly time and just created well-being and wholeness right in the midst of this intense suffering and brokenness. And Tai's look taught me that awakening is possible in every moment, even if it's a tiny waking up from the small story into the reality of this moment where innate goodness and worthiness can always be affirmed. And this look of his transmitted a deep desire to also be able to look at people that way with boundless compassion and love that without any words can relieve suffering and inspire great confidence and joy. And when I think back to all the many things Ty was probably very preoccupied with at that time, because of those, those trips to China were very challenging. We were a Buddhist delegation in a communist country that was welcoming, but also a bit ambiguous, suspicious of us. And Ty was guiding not just several hundred lay and monastic followers from the West, but also digging deep into his own vast knowledge and experience to be able to offer culturally appropriate teachings to thousands of Chinese people, um, encouraging them to move beyond uh, some of the views that were restricting them and, and reclaim their own powerful ancestral wisdom. So he had his own health and safety to be concerned about and that of all of us accompanying him. And yet in the midst of so much to take care of, he was free of all that, free enough to see me clearly, to care about me and to zap me with this incredible peace and freedom. So I'm sure he zapped many others on that trip and many of the other journeys he was on. And, and even, you know, after he had his stroke in 2014, when he was paralyzed on the left side of his body, I felt he's still zapping us, you know, he, the way he was able to move through that very difficult time and, and still be this presence of, great clarity and compassion and 
and um, beauty. Uh, it was it was a very deep teaching to to see how he continued to teach and be be this presence of mindfulness despite all the physical limitations after the stroke. I'll tell one more story and then uh, invite you to to ask questions or share reflections, comments. So, so this was later, some years later, I was, we were traveling this time in Thailand. And again, I had just come to this low moment of being very distressed at, at I felt very disappointed in myself and, and guilty because I felt I had made, was making a mistake. And, um, you know, traveling, you're just more vulnerable. You don't have all the kind of the steady outward things that keep you grounded in the monastery. And so, you know, many things would, would arise on, on trips. They were also wonderful experiences, lots of connection and um, affirmation and, and chances to grow. But this was a, a moment of a lot of vulnerability for me. And I went to him uh, just wanting to get help on what, was, what I was suffering with. His attendant was there, as often would be the case, and I didn't want to share what was bothering me front of the attendant. So I just sat there and wept quietly for a little while. And, um, and the next day we were traveling to, to give a present. Tai was going to give a talk at a large international Buddhist conference. And on the way there on the train, he um, he called me to him and said, could you help me draft speaking points for my lecture, for my, not lecture, but my Dharma talk, what I'm going to talk about. And he'd never asked me to do this before. And I, I was, you know, part of me was like me, like I'm, I'm in this terrible state of not feeling I can do much right. And, uh, and, at this, and at the same time, there was this, oh, me? Oh, okay. Like, if I could do something to help, I would, I would love to do something to help. So I, I've just felt his trust in me and the responsibility he felt I was capable of fulfilling. It was very uplifting and kind of returned my confidence in myself. So I asked another sister to help. We worked on it together. I mean, I don't think he really needed that help, but it was a skillful means of um, kind of touching also my bodhicitta, this, um, this deep wish that I had, even in the midst of these you know, self-doubting thoughts, to be of service, to, to, um, to think, well, what will really help these, this, this audience in this context? 
So it really balanced out the negative emotions that I was drowning in and helped me to be, you know, kinder to myself, to be, um, to, to see my, my situation with more balanced eyes. I want to really thank you all for your practice, for your presence, for your listening. Um, would love to uh, encourage you to, to read more about Thai if you are interested. There's many good books, but that Fragrant Palm Leaves is a really beautiful book about his early life as a young monk. Um, there are many others. Um, so now may we all really carry Thai in us. May we all manifest his his awakening, his care, his love in our lives and in our relationships and in our world. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.